This podcast brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online. It's mslandbank.com. They understand the lay of the land. They also understand that farming is not just a simple life. It is big business. It is spreadsheets, and sometimes it requires a loan, and they are happy to help you in North Mississippi. That's the great folks at Mississippi Land Bank. Also brought to you by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point right down the road from where we are recording today in Starkville. So if you're headed to the game this weekend for Super Bulldog weekend, if you're coming from north, you're going to be traveling likely right on through West Point. And if you are right there on Highway 45, stop into Jubilation's Cheesecake Coffee House. You can have lunch. Everything's made from scratch, the soups, the salads, the sandwiches, and, of course, all the sweets, including cheesecake. And you can watch them being made. I'll tell you more about them coming up. I'm Matt, and here is Brett Hudson. Hello. Are I'm you a big Game of Thrones fan? I have not watched a single second Neither. of a single episode. Neither have I. And, you know, I don't know what the reason is. I've seen the South Park parody, though. <laughs> the South Park parody was funny. It was entertaining? Yeah. I hear there's lots of nudity. Yeah. And people, you know, and so the thing is, like, I, that's why people are watching. <laughs> we know that. You know, and I, I, I never watch television if it's not a sporting event. If I do, it's something, you know, we're watching a movie with my daughter or something. So we're not going to watch Game of Thrones. And all these, hey, dad, all these guys, we know why you're watching. (laughs) It's for the nudity. So stop, you know, stop everything else. That's why you're watching. Okay. I'm just just glad that you specifically (laughs) mentioned hey, dad. I know. Because anytime he is either loosely or very specifically mentioned on this podcast, I never tell him and we never at him. But he always finds out. Isn't that interesting? He always finds out, and he always you know, storms up to me. He always waddles up to me with some smart aleck remark. <laughs> so I just I can't wait for someone well, to eventually send the word to him <laughs> that he was mentioned on, on this podcast. You know what he's going to do now? He's not going to say anything intentionally, although we know he's going to hear it. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for monitoring your competition. Hey, Dad. Someone, someone's going to let him know, and I just can't wait. Hey, did you hear that? Hey, Dad. We think when you walk, you waddle. Yeah, that, I said it just for that reason. <laughs> I want, I want him to, I want him to have a, a smart <laughs> comment about me saying that he waddles. Hey, I did think that I had a really good response to him last night. I, I put on Twitter, "What's Game of Thrones about?" You know, the idiot question, just on purpose. Yeah. And he responded, "How much time do you have?" And I, I Jeez. respond to him and said. More like Game of Scones. Am I right, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> and so then he put his sponsor plug in there and all that kind of stuff. So Naturally. All right. So uh, baseball on the docket. State gets a midweek win, 7-5. to five, Hit a couple home runs. And yeah. Tanner Allen is who we thought he was. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Did you, uh, did you go and retweet yourself? From, I didn't have to. Uh, true. True Several enough. others did it for me. Yeah, enough people have enough people have learned. Um, he is one of many interesting things going on with with this team right now. They are twenty eight and six, seven and five in league play, going into Super Bowl Dog Weekend with Alabama coming to town. We've got a lot to get to in, yeah. in this episode. We've got some some sound from Coach Lamonis. We'll get to that shortly. Also from Riley Self and. Did an interview with an Alabama beat writer, Ben Jones, of the Tuscaloosa News, so he'll help us dive into the nitty-gritty on Alabama later on in the episode. But since you mentioned Tanner Allen, let's go ahead and, and get to what he had to say after after that win over South Alabama. You mentioned it 7-5. to five. Uh, Tanner goes yard in that game. He ends up 3-4 for four with 5 RBI in that game. Uh, and that, that home run was a missile. That mm-hmm. ball yeah. probably went – like burned through the batter's eye and landed in John Cohen's office back there near the lake. That thing was a missile. And he was brought into the the post-game media room after the fact, and and he kind of talked about not only being on the slump, uh, but how he got out of it. And there's a little bit in the middle there about people asking him about the homer, but I'm able to get him back on, on subject about the slump and getting through that after the fact. Here's what Tanner Allen said after the game. Well... As y'all know, I mean, anybody that watched Mississippi State baseball, I've been struggling probably a month. And uh, last weekend, Sunday, I was like, man, I'm just going to relax, enjoy the game. I'm blessed to be at this program and, you know, be supported by all these people. I was telling him, 
you have a coaching staff and players behind you that support you all the way through and pulling for you, man, it, it takes a lot of stress off my chest. And uh, that has a big reason of why I had a good night tonight. I was just able to get get some good pitches and put good swings on them and let everything else take care of itself. What'd you hit out? I hit a cutter. He left over the plate and was able to hit it out to center field. Did you know what was going off the bat? I told myself I laughed. I hit home. I said, man, if I can't get it out to center with that swing, I don't think I got enough juice to get it out. But uh, I had a good idea it was getting out. Yes, sir. You mentioned kind of settling down and that helping you get through the slump. Was there a time in the slump where you started to push things and try to be a little too overzealous, I guess? Oh, of course, man. You know, having the year I had last year, this year I'm hitting 245. I'm going up there, man. I got to hit five home runs in one swing just to make up for all the bad I've done. But it's not about that. It's just one at bat, one pitch at a time, and doing what I can to help us win. Because that's the big picture. I go forward and we win the game, man. It's not about me. It's about us. And uh, that's, guy, that's what's different about that team. That's this team. That's how everybody is. It don't matter who's having a bad night. Someone's always going to be there to pick us up. I think it's obvious from that, that clip that Tanner Allen is a enjoyable ball player to cover. And I, I, I'm going to break one of my own rules here because I don't – I go out of my way to not talk about the life and times of the media man because I realize that, frankly, no one cares, right? No one cares (laughs) how I live my life. Sure. But I'm going to break my own rule to say this. When he is able to speak so candidly and refreshingly uh, not mad about it, about his own slump, he's not just like spitting and, and hating everyone for asking him about it. He's an enjoyable ball player, both on and off the field. You can see that he just enjoys baseball greatly when he's on the field. And he enjoys everything about it. Playing the game, practicing the game, talking about the game, answering questions about the game. And I, if he does become that major league guy, he's going to be a professional ball player. With that swing, that much is obvious. But maybe he becomes that guy who plays with the same franchise for six, seven, eight years through his arbitration years. And if he becomes that, I'm real jealous of those beat writers yeah. that, that get him for, for that many years in, in the clubhouse they cover because he's an enjoyable ball player to watch and he's an enjoyable ball player to, to cover. So I, I certainly appreciate that. Well, and you know, again, um, hit safely in four of his last five games. But if you look at the last two, three for five against Tennessee with uh, the home run and the RBI there, scored a run, three for four against South Alabama and drove in five. That's a lot. You know, and again, it's like it comes in bunches. His RBIs have come in bunches, yep. 13 in the opening weekend. Then over the over a three-game stretch, last two of the Southern Miss series in Jackson State, three consecutive games, he had six RBIs in that little stretch. Mm-hmm. Cold as a cucumber, it seemed like forever, and now he's heating up again at what may be a key time when you're going to have to have a little more consistent offensive run production if you're not getting – Consistent six, seven inning starts out of JT Ginn on yeah. the weekend. In, in those two games, Tanner Allen raised his batting average 28 points. Gracious. From 240 to 268. Going six hits in two games after being as cold as he was for, mm-hmm. for the longest time. We'll do that for you. You mentioned JT Ginn, and he is probably the biggest topic of conversation around this team right now after his one inning appearance in that Tennessee uh, series. He was. He was hurt, uh, injured in between the uh, the two starts, and just wasn't quite up to snuff. wasn't comfortable, so he was pulled after after one inning. This is what Coach Chris Lamona said after the midweek game against South Alabama relative to his status for this weekend. Uh, we're not 100 percent positive, but it's not a major thing. So he's uh, he's still working, throwing it through today. Um, we'll see how he feels tomorrow, but it's not a. Uh, we don't think it's anything major. Is it really about how he feels, comfortability-wise? I think so. He's just got to get all the way back to being 100%. So that's kind of what we talked to him about. And since that press conference, the SEC releases uh, their weekend pitching matchups uh, each weekend, and that was released Thursday around lunchtime. Uh, it had Ethan Small starting Friday, Peyton Plumley starting Saturday, TBA on Sunday. That guy is a boss, by the way. <laughs> TBA is amazing. I've never seen TBA give up a run. Not yet. I hadn't seen it, and he covers innings like crazy. Apparently, he can't graduate either. No, no, he's he's the Riley Norris of of college baseball. He stays on the roster forever. It's it's amazing. He's a, he's that classic ninth year senior. Um, so relative to JT Ginn, everything 
so I, I kind of mentioned it on the previous episode where everything I've heard suggests that this isn't a serious deal. It's just soreness. It's a matter of, of when he is comfortable and when he is able to really let it go and let it go for 70, 80, 90 pitches and be the JT again that he has been over the course of the entire season up to this point. In between that podcast Monday and now, I'm still hearing the same things. Like everything from the public messaging that Chris Lamonis is saying is jiving with everything that I'm hearing, not for attribution on background, and it's jiving with everything I'm hearing off the record. Like everything is simpatico here. The messaging is the same. Obviously, there's some pieces of information that kind of are uh, they're more free flowing when you're off the record as opposed to otherwise. But the messaging is still the same. Like JT Ginn is not. He's not severely injured. This isn't some issue that is going to force him to be out for several weeks in a row. It, it truly is just a matter of when he recovers. Yeah. If you were to ask me what I think the likelihood of him pitching is, it's somewhere in between 0 and 50%. I don't know where in there. I would still say it's less than 50% that he pitches – during Super Bulldog weekend, and as you heard in that soundbite, if he does pitch, it will be short. For for You heard that from Chris Lamonis himself. But I do think that number is going to creep over 50% pretty quickly. Yeah, okay. I don't think – I don't from everything I've heard, I don't see this as a long-term situation. If they manage him correctly, if they allow him to come back, when his body suggests he can come back, pretty soon, maybe in the next two weeks – He'll be back to usual JT Ginn, pitching the way he he usually is, yeah. and everything will be fine. Well, I, I still think it's less than 50%, but it's not impossible. And you're talking about this weekend? Yes. 50%. Yes, I, th- I think he's somewhere in between 1% and 49% yeah. for this weekend, but that number's going to rise pretty steadily yeah. with, with each passing day and each passing week. That's, that's the best way I can put it based on the conversations I've been having. Well, and not to at all throw – I mean – Throw any motivation Alabama's way. They're not listening to this. If they are, hey. Hi. But uh, states shouldn't have to have JT Ginn out there to win the series or sweep it. I agree. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Hornsby and the range. That's just the way it is. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think if you get what you usually get from Ethan Small, right, Peyton Plumley is clearly capable of delivering mass innings in a quality fashion so if you're able to get through that friday saturday game win them both relatively save the bullpen as you do it then you go into sunday give the ball to keegan james which how many teams out there would kill to give the ball to keegan james right right give the ball to keegan james and say look dude give us four give us four minimum and we got the bullpen sitting there waiting to take us home right that's Mm -hmm. that's obviously the all things working according to plan sure Everybody has a plan until the game starts, right? Yeah, but right. All of the if all of that actually happens, then you could certainly survive yeah. a series against Alabama, a team who's probably the worst in the SEC without yeah. JT Ginn. Is it ideal? No, but is it possible? Very, very much so. Um, I would also say this too about what you said. You know, information of you, you get off the record information. You also have stuff that you can go on, which is coaches' comments. Paired with what you're seeing with your eyes, all right? And so we all saw against Tennessee – I mean, put these factors together. Against Tennessee, he misses his start on Saturday. They say soreness. The message was, hey, just yeah, uncomfortable, but nothing major. Then he threw he threw the, he threw threw pitches in the Sunday game. Well, it didn't work out. He didn't stay out there long. He didn't feel comfortable. He was a little sore, but he went out on the mound and started. Mm-hmm. Now here we are saying – Okay, you know, from everything you're hearing, you know, maybe a little less than 50% we see him this weekend. They, he's not throwing Saturday. They're going TBA on Sunday. We'll see. But all indications and all comments are that it's nothing major. It's just a matter of, you know, working out whatever this mysterious air quotes here soreness is. Yeah. Well, naturally then, just think. You just go ahead and infer. If you had a joint issue of any kind, a joint issue, number one, he never would have come anywhere near that mound in Knoxville, Tennessee. Good point. If he had any kind of elbow joint, shoulder joint issue, number one. Number two, 
if it were a any kind of major, you know, tendon or ligament issue in either of those joints, which I guess is kind of the same thing, but still the point is, if that's what it was or feared to be, he never would have seen the mound on Sunday. They wouldn't point. have run him out there. Just the way that played out in Knoxville tells me with great confidence that, you know, it's something that is minor. Okay. And you go, well, there are concerns. Okay. Yeah. But I'm just telling you at this place, at any major college program, especially around here, the way you're treating a first rounder yeah, <laughs> is if there were, any, if there were any threat of there being something that popped up on Saturday that could have been major, there's no way he'd have been anywhere near that mound on Sunday. The fact that he was out there and tried to pitch does tell you he's just got something going on. It's a little sore. Maybe, you know, whether it's, you know, tendonitis or whether it's, you know, some type of muscular tear. You just got to wait for it to heal up. Whatever that is, um, it's just a matter of time. And and, uh, to kind of piggyback off that point, again, you're dealing with a first-rounder here. When he isn't 100%, I think it's safe to assume that they're going to test him, right? Like they aren't just kind of shaking his elbow and saying, oh, how does that feel? Scale of one to 10. Right. Okay. Go, go throw 30 pitches in the bullpen and see how you feel. No, he's being tested. Things are happening to him. He's getting medical advice here. I think that's a a safe assumption for, for fans to make. And Mm -hmm. as you kind of go through that data gathering process, you just, you just learn, right? That this isn't, a structural thing. This isn't something that could cause him to, at its current state, it's not something that could cause him to miss weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. It's one of those things where as soon as that pain that limited him in Knoxville, as soon as that goes away, he's full go. Well, and, and the other thing is look at the month ahead of you, as opposed to the last two, three weeks as well, including Super Bulldog weekend, Yep. you know, hosting Alabama, you got to win it, period. I don't care who's pitching. You're at Tennessee. You're expected to win the series and did, uh, for all intents and purposes, without JT Ginn. Yeah. When do you really need JT Ginn to make sure he's 100% ready to go? Uh, the next month. At Arkansas, <laughs> Ole Miss in a midweek, hosting Georgia, at Texas A&M, Memphis in the midweek, at Ole Miss. Yep. Wait, hosting Ole Miss. No, at Ole Miss. At Ole Miss, yeah, it's up there. So so there's your stretch. Again, I just think state fans, if they this is what I'm saying, is at this point, all the signs to me point towards this is not at all something to freak out about. Yes. Had he not had he been kept completely away from the mound last weekend, I'd be concerned, everybody. I, this points towards state fans going Okay, he'll be back out there, and you'd much rather make sure he's fully healthy and ready to go, full-on JT again, for what's coming over the next month. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Hey, and the other thing is, I mean, speaking of tendon issues. Yes, I was waiting. I was waiting waiting on this. this? Like structural damage in my shoulder, trying to pat myself on the back for mentioning Gunnar Halter at third base, (laughs) because it then happened the very next game. Yep. Uh, I was waiting for your one shining moment. Here. And I didn't have any inside info on that. Do you want to thank the Academy or? I would like, well, first I want to thank God. Oh, naturally. And uh, secondly, I would like to thank my parents for instilling in me some wisdom and some, uh, what's that word? What's that word I'm looking for? Where you're able to, well, I don't know what the word is, just smart. You know, being able to you're Nostradamus. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. In little intuition, can figure things out. Yep. I could coach. Sure. I could coach this team. <laughs> I could definitely coach this team. <laughs> it, it's funny you put it that way because let's, let's go to what uh, Coach Lamona said on, on the subject. And I included the question that, that I asked because it, the way he answered it, you need the context of the exact words that I said to, uh, to understand the first part of, of his answer. But here's what uh, – Here's what Coach Lamonis had to say about those defensive changes. Some defensive changes recently. Why do you think Foskey fits well at second and the same for Gunner at third? I don't know, but I've told our coaches I probably look like a bad coach, have them play the other way all year, and then we flipped them. We were playing so good early, it was hard to change it up. 
and then we've had some some innings where we could probably play a little better defensively. And it's amazing, Bosses reacts better at second, and Gunner reacts better at third, and Marshall Gill. So I, I think it's more in their natural spots. Um, I, I was really impressive with, with a couple plays Justin's made the last couple of days. Uh, frankly, I'm I'm insulted that he didn't mention you in his answer. Give us I mean, credit. I mean, I mean, we we all know you texted him in between the. No, he listens. That's what it oh, is. Oh, really? Yeah, they're listening. Hey, coach, how's it going, man? That's right. Listen for future suggestions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> this is the best place to get Mississippi State baseball knowledge. I think everyone knows that. Um, so I was literally at a, everyone, even every, literally everyone, including Brian Haydad. <laughs> you hear that, Brian? Holler at your boy, Brian. Stop. Here we are. Um, no, uh, I was out of town, doing a lot of different work out of town, driving to my in-laws uh, to spend the night when the game was going on. So got there, caught bits and pieces on my phone, just not the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did it work out? Did you think in your mind having um, – I thought Foskey was very smooth at second base. He he turned a couple of double plays. Well, I think he may have only turned one. There were at least two, but one of them was a three six three. I don't know how many he was involved in, but the point is he looked really smooth at, at second base. And I can see what Lamonis was getting at with uh with Foskey just looking more natural at second base and Gunnar Halter looking more natural at third. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gunnar had enough balls hit to him. In that game to make a, a judgment, the one Not that throw Foskey did either the one throw that they didn't get the out over there for yeah. Halter was that a play that Allen should have made? They didn't really show a ton of replays. I could that. you can make that argument. Yeah, yeah. Even with more than two cameras, did it in bounce? The house. I couldn't remember if the throw bounced or if I it was don't just remember up the if line, it bounced. Anyway, I don't remember if it bounced, but you could argue that that's a ball that that Tanner gets more times than not. Uh, but no, I, I see I see Lamonis's point. Foskey looked very natural. At, at second base, and I think that was a a good answer. And I, I wonder if that's actually a better fit for Tanner Allen at first base because Tanner said after the game that uh, that Gunner is just so lanky and and long that sometimes the ball gets lost mm-hmm. in his throwing motion from from second. Now when he's throwing from third, you got all the time in the world to track that ball as it's coming to you. But when it's coming from second, it's a pretty quick yeah. bang bang reaction for 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 first baseman. So I wonder if if Foskey being his second makes Tanner Allen's job easier, which you got to remember, he's not a natural first baseman. So anything you can do to make his job easier is, is probably a good thing. But it's also possible that this new configuration makes you better defensively as a whole. Yeah. If Foskey is, is smooth at second base and Gunner can prove that he has the arm to beat those throws from, from third. Yeah. Well, and I, I applaud any coach who's willing to just – at any point in the year, if you feel like it's time to shift things around, move things around, mm-hmm. tweak it, just do it because you're always trying to find the best way to – you know, you're trying to get better. You know, there, frankly, are a lot of coaches who would look at that and go, look, I can't make that move now. We're so deep in the year because whether it does work out or doesn't, well, how's it make me, me look as a coach that I'm this far along before I try something like this? Mm-hmm. You know, Lamonis is taking the approach, hey – I don't care when it is. You know what? Let's move Foskey to second base. We'll keep tweaking until we figure it out. And you've seen kind of that same approach with his ability to to shuffle DH guys with some success. Yep. You know, use that. Looking at that spot of the lineup, we're not settled on something. We go way deep in the year for Cumbus to get his first start at DH, and he goes three for three. It's true. So I like the flexibility that you're seeing. But it just – I agree. Like, I know we haven't seen much. It just feels better. I have – like if I look at it through the perspective, you know, complete state fan, solid on the infield, it just feels better having Foscu at second and Halter at third. And it's one of the more natural possible outcomes out of this because I dedicated a part of the full count post to it from from Monday. It seemed more likely than not that that defensive changes had to be made in order for for this team to realize its potential yeah. in getting to Omaha and winning some games when they get there. It it not it wasn't a guarantee, but it seemed more likely than not that it probably needed to happen, whether drastic or slight like this one was. Something probably needed to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of that realistic, unrealistic line that I drew in that Monday episode. 
this was definitely on the realistic. Yeah. And just because that's a, a transition that both of those guys can make somewhat easily, especially when you go back to the fall and then Foskey's previous tenure here and and kind of shifting around the infield and trying to find a home. Third base was at home for him last year, but he wasn't limited to that like Rowdy has been to outfield yeah. reps right. uh, to address that theory or has – as Gilbert has been to just catcher at third base. Like, you couldn't just slide him in at second base because he hasn't gotten reps there yeah. of any kind. This was a realistic way of changing things up, and it had some 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 clear upside Sure, as Foskey presented it at second base. And if this ends up being the long-term answer, it's something that could go on beyond this season because yeah. Foskey still has eligibility left, and so does Gunnar Halter right. and Westberg. That yeah, matter. that's so a good this, point. This infield, if this is the long-term answer, this could be this way for more than just the two months and change that Mississippi State fans hope this this season has to offer. It could be this way going forward beyond yeah. that into 2020. That's a really good point. You know, and the other thing is, too, um, like I don't have one thing against Marshall Gilbert at all. I like seeing him up there in certain situations. And, you know, he had a big hit in that first game against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. and a little bit more slugging, you know, I guess, for the opportunities he's gotten this year than Halter. But 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 Halter, you, you know, mechanically, again, he's so long and lanky, but mechanically, if he can get that back foot dug in and eliminate kind of the, the bailout move that he gets going sometimes that I think he had going and he got worse and led him into that streak, the, where, you know, you're right-handed hitter, but his momentum is really taking him out of the batter's box away yeah. on swings and takes and everything. You know, and looking at it, I would never pitch him inside. I would always pitch him outside because he's not going to be able to hit anything hard, you know, to the left side. Yep. And and it almost looked like a couple of at-bats I saw from him against um, South Alabama. It's almost like he's working on that. And that back foot still flew out of there some. But you saw him – I mean, he hit some hard foul balls opposite field. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, still – Halter's a guy who hit 16 home runs in Juco. He's got that ability to surprise you every now and then if you make a mistake on the inside part of the plate. Mm -hmm. His bat's pretty quick, and he kind of sprays it around. You know, he just seems like maybe a little – as his experience continues to grow at the plate, he's maybe a little more of a tough out. Yes. Um than, than what it seems like Gilbert is consistently. Anyway. Well, and if you read in between the lines of that clip from Lamonis that we played earlier, it's important to remember that he mentioned three names. He mentioned Foskew, Gilbert, and um, Gunner, the yeah. guy who started yeah. last night. Duh, idiot. Yeah. Gunner. Um, he didn't mention Landon Jordan, who could play second base. Yeah. He didn't mention some other bench guys who could play second base. Mm-hmm. He mentioned those three guys, which makes me wonder – if Gunner at third isn't set in stone. Yeah. Like right, what well. if what if now Foskew is currently cemented into second base and uh, if there's a competition at third between Gunner and Gilbert. Yeah. Then that's not that's not sourced, that's not reporting, that's just reading in between the lines of, of what Coach Lona said after that South Alabama game and wondering if there is that opportunity for for Gilbert because we mentioned it several times. You mentioned it just now. He's hitting Marshall Gilbert. He's hitting 300, but he's only got 40 at bats. Mm-hmm. And, and Mississippi right. State's played what 34 games. Right. Yeah, he's got mm-hmm. 40 at bats in 34 games. He's hitting 300, slugging 450 of his. Let's see if his 12 hits this year, four have gone for extra bases, three doubles, and a dinger. And he's drawn nine walks in those eight starts. Well, 23 games, but 40 at bats, nine walks, and on base of 440. So there's clearly something in that bat. He just doesn't have the sample size yeah. to suggest that he can do it for an entire season. And maybe this is an opportunity for him to get a little bit more yeah. ABs in that yeah. regard. And this it's a good thing for him because the DH thing is so crowded and it's currently so dominated by Hatcher and Cumbus. Yeah. He probably needed to find somewhere else in the lineup to get the ABs and continue hitting 300 for more than 40 at-bats. And um, if it is, in fact, a competition at third base as opposed to being Gunner's spot, mm-hmm. I, I'm just interested to see how that goes down because they're different players. They're, they're built differently, clearly, and, yeah. and they their games represent those different builds. They just attack the game in, in different ways. Neither of them is right or wrong. Right. They just attack the game in different ways, and, and Mississippi State can win with both of those approaches. It's just a matter of which one delivers 
on that approach with more consistency. Yep. If if they do t- try it, they'll find out the answer somewhat sooner they need to because season's, season's almost done, y'all. Yeah, like we've, been, we've been grinding for a while, and we still got a while to go, but not as long as you think. That's right. Not as long as you think. That's right. It's getting deep, you know, and, you know, the whole league seems to be kind of bunched at the top of the league. Yeah. What, you know, state and everybody else is within a game of each other at the top of the league. So in terms of who finishes where – but still RPI and somewhat finished, but RPI is really largely going to tell you where you're going to be in the postseason. And mm-hmm. for programs like this, it's what it's all about. Um, of the seven teams in the SEC West, six of them have eight or seven wins. Yeah. Sorry, Alabama. That's right. And, you know, and the thing is, Alabama, they got a pitcher or two who can get hot and shut people down, too. Um, so you're going to just took a series with South Carolina, who admittedly mm-hmm. is also struggling three and nine in the league. But yeah. Sam Finnerty was awesome in his in his Friday night start. Is now the time to learn about Alabama? Let's do it. Okay, so I have roll. Uh, I was going to do the roll tide there, but you couldn't. You can finish. I can't you? make myself finish that stupid crap. Man. <laughs> I just can't do it. So, um, so I talked to you the Tuscaloosa News is Ben Jones earlier. Uh, today, Thursday, to get some some insight on on Alabama, where that program is after a pretty tumultuous last decade or so, and then where they are this year in what could be a better year two for for Alabama under Brad Bohannon than than year one was. Here's here's my conversation with Ben, and we are pleased to have Ben Jones, the Alabama beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News, uh, here on on Dogpile. Ben, I know uh, spring football is the Primary topic of conversation in, in Tuscaloosa. Football is always the topic of conversation in, in Tuscaloosa, but I appreciate you taking some time to talk baseball with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll Thank probably spend a little bit more time this part of the year over the baseball stadium even than I do at the football practice facility. So oh. it's always good to be able to talk a little bit about baseball with somebody else outside of Alabama. Right, right. Fantastic. So, uh, we're we're here to learn about this year's team that State is going to face this weekend on Super Bulldog Weekend. But I do want to get just one question in about the program as a whole because the recent history has been really interesting to me. And you already know most of this, but I'm going to lay it out for for the listener. So Mitch Gaspar takes over in 2010. He goes to Tallahassee for regionals in three of his first four years, but never wins one. Then in 2015, he goes 12-8 and in SEC play while they're playing their home games in Hoover uh, while they're renovating their stadium. It's not a hospitable environment for winning, so he gets one more year. They go 15-15 and in the SEC. They lose five of their last six. Gaspard is gone. And in comes Greg Goff for one disastrous season, 19-34-1, and 5-24-1 in SEC play. He gets let go for, for things other than the on-field performance, put it, put it that way. And now this is year two for Brad Bohannon, and his current SEC record is 12-30. and 30. So basically what happened is Jim Wells had it rolling. He retires in 2009. Mitch Gaspard rides those coattails for four years or so, and the program has been in more or less dysfunction for one reason or another ever since. Under under Brad Bohannon in year two, is the program at least stable enough to where it can start to build up to where Jim Wells had it around the turn of the millennium? Is it at least stable enough to where it can truly start the building process? Yeah, I think the program is certainly on the way back up. Um, I don't you know, on the one hand, it's very easy to say the program is back on the way up after you go five twenty four and one in conference play. Um, <laughs> and on the other side of that, I'm not sure that Brad Bohannon will get it to the point where Jim Wells is or Jim Wells had it in the '90s. Not because of anything of Brad Bohannon, but that's just because at that program, at that point, the program was competing for national championships and was in Omaha multiple times. Yeah, um, it's probably just too early to say if it'll be at that point. But things are definitely trending upward. Uh, you know, 2018, the first season for this new coaching staff was pretty difficult. Really only had time to bring in one of its own uh, high school recruits after they got here at the end of the season. Um, This year, I believe there's 22 new players on the 35-man roster. Uh, Some junior college guys, um, some guys who had played major college baseball. Elsewhere, Morgan McCullough has been at Oregon and is now at third forum. Um, Some guys who are straight out of high school who are in the lineup. Um, So kind of, this is the first year when you've kind of been able to start to see the direction that the program might be going in 
or start to see the roster get right a little bit. After two years where recruiting was really kind of a sunk cost with coaching changes in the middle of the summer. Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the recruiting things. I wanted to go into that with this year's team because I remember your thread on Twitter back in March when Alabama announced that Sam Prater was going to be out for, for the entire season. He's a promising catcher that Alabama had. He was a big bat for them, too. In that thread, you detailed just that, how the last two recruiting classes were severely hurt by the coaching changes. So Alabama wasn't really in a position depth-wise to replace a prominent part of their team like that. How has Alabama tried to replace him? Uh, so Alabama, probably like most college baseball teams, carries three catchers on the roster. Um, the issue, and one of the issues in losing Sam Prater, who had not only been their starting catcher, but their cleanup hitter on opening day, um, was that the guy who probably would be considered their number two catcher, um, Brett McCullough, was their starting third baseman. Didn't have a ton of experience playing third base, but was probably their best option there because they needed to get his bat in the lineup somehow. Uh, so McCullough is now splitting his time between third base and playing catcher a little bit more. Johnny Hawk, another junior college transfer, is the other catcher. Um, that's kind of how they've tried to cobble it together on the defensive side of things. Uh, offensively, you know, it, it's just tough to replace your cleanup hitter um, or a guy that you're expecting that kind of a season from. On the positive side, it's given some opportunities to some younger players. To hit in the middle of the order, Tyler Gentry, a sophomore junior college transfer. The guy who had a lot of raw power um, and played pretty well for Alabama in the last week or two. Um, TJ Reeves, a high school uh, freshman out of Birmingham, is a really athletic player uh, who I think will probably end up hitting third here at some point. He can run, um, he can hit for power, had an inside-the-park home run this year, then had two home runs on Tuesday night at Stanford. Uh, Drew Williamson is another high, is another freshman. He's playing first base for them. So those three guys have all kind of been hitting in the middle of the order, as well as uh, McCullough, sorry, McCullough, um, second baseman, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you went ahead. Uh, now we're back is the name of the other catcher. I'm sorry. I'd yeah. Get those two guys confused. Yeah. Scott Irish names. Yeah, yeah, you went ahead and mentioned the three guys in this lineup. I, I had in my notes. Let's go ahead and and hit on that lineup. So when I when I look at this lineup, they draw a lot of walks. Uh, they're second in the SEC in that regard. Drew Williamson and Morgan McCullough, they're both close to drawing one walk per game. And then you mentioned Tyler Gentry; he's got eight homers this year. What else does this lineup offer? Do they do they offer anything outside of those three? You know, the the lineup has probably been a little bit better top to bottom this year than I would have expected. Joe Bro, um, the center fielder, the guy that they had really high expectations for last year as a junior college transfer, didn't play quite so well, but has been a solid player for them this season. Um, Colby Robinson uh, was their best option defensively at shortstop, and I think it just felt like they didn't have anyone else who could handle that position, so he was going to have a spot in the lineup. But he probably overperformed uh, relative to what they were looking for. I think he might still be leading the team at average. Not a guy who's going to hit for a lot of power, but anytime you have a solid glove guy up the middle who's hitting in the range of 350 like he is right now, um, that's a good thing. And then on, on the mound, Sam Finnerty is coming off the, his best performance of, of the season. Complete game shutout of South Carolina. Four hits allowed, five strikeouts. When he has it going like he did against South Carolina, how does he get guys out? He's really a pitch-to-contact guy. Um, and that way I think that South Carolina was a really good matchup for him because South Carolina doesn't get much contact uh, against offenses that – uh, hit the tar out of the ball like Arkansas earlier this year, he's really going to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a guy who has overwhelming stuff, not a guy who's going to pile up strikeouts, but he's also not a guy who's going to get out free bases um, with walks, not going to let guys move over on wild pitches. Uh, the guy who remains calm when there's runners on base, that's probably his greatest asset of a Friday night guy is that the coaches know they can put him out there. And even if he gets in trouble, he can still get through five or six innings and not burn up the bullpen for the rest of the weekend. Oh, that pitching to contact might be a, a bad recipe against Mississippi State, like it, like it yeah. was against Arkansas. That's uh, that might not go well for him. But they do have a couple of uh, of, of bullpen pieces that that drew my eye. Jeremy Randolph being the being the best one. What are your thoughts on this bullpen? Yeah, Jeremy Randolph is a graduate transfer from Wright State. Uh, when I say that they got guys from all over on this team, uh, I wasn't kidding. You know, they didn't land. Randolph, until late July, early August, went up and recruited him while he was playing uh, in the Cape Cod League. 
Another bullpen guy that they have, Chase Lee, uh, kind of a sidearm righty-on-righty specialist. Um, the guy who showed up a year ago uh, for walk-on tryouts at a shortstop and didn't make the team, but they said, hey, you know, if you really go and work and try and be a pitcher and learn how to throw a sidearm, we like your arm action. We think you might have a chance there. You know, you did that for a couple of years, came back and made the team a year later and been a nice uh, kind of specialist for them. Um, otherwise, you know, they've got some young guys that they really like. Connor Shamblin, Tyler Ross, and Jacob McNair are your three true freshmen who've all pitched a lot, started some, and had a bullpen some. Um, Will Freeman is a guy who kind of settled in the midweek role. But you might see him on the weekend just based on whether they decide to shake things up as well. And a fantastic name in the bullpen, Deacon Metters. That's just that's just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it's a very Tuscaloosa name. <laughs> His father also goes by Deacon. So. Oh, fantastic! So good. Yeah. All right, that's that's I'm I'm good with ending it on on that. Shouts to Deacon Metters, fantastic name. Ben, appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Yep, thanks for having me. And appreciate Ben Jones of the Tuscaloosa News for. For giving us ten minutes of his time on on Dogpile, now you're now you're more learned up on Alabama baseball than you probably <laughs> have been in your entire life, and for good reason, given that conversation we had at the start about the what has been in the last decade of of Alabama baseball for for the most part. But but this team is it's not up to snuff. That much is painfully obvious, mm-hmm. but it's not the total and complete train wreck that it has been in the two seasons prior. That's where I fall on them. Right. Well, and, you know, I think for them it's – they're probably, what, two players away from being right back there and being really competitive. Pretty close. You know, a Friday night – or, you know, a one-two, one of those guys. Just depth. Like like Ben said, just depth. I mean, the last two recruiting classes have been decimated Mm -hmm. by program upheaval and coaching change and and all that. So if they can just deliver more depth – and Bohannon made his bones in recruiting – yeah. Um, so you imagine that's that's coming pretty yeah. soon. I mean, as as he mentioned, they had to go transfer and JUCO hard to get it done for what to get done what they've currently been doing to get that done for mm-hmm. for this year. But as he goes and develops the old school way, gets high school kids and has them in in school for three to five years and develops depth and top of the line players that way, uh, you can see better better days ahead for for Alabama. But those those better days aren't here yet. They're on the way, but they aren't here yet. You know and. He he can recruit, and so can Butch uh, Thompson at Auburn. It's a tough job, man. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he's right down the road from here. So let's take – look at Alabama, first of all. Let's take recruits that are in proximity. Jake Mangum, for instance, grew up an Alabama fan. You get an option, where are you coming to play baseball? You're coming here. You know, a lot of their fans and the Alabama people, um, and and they should. They should be proud of their ballpark. You've seen it. They spent a lot of money it's on it. It's a fantastic park, yeah. It's a great park. They spent a lot of money on it recently. Well, they're all going to come over here and go, wait a minute, we, we spent money on what? <laughs> because this one is has not only leapfrogged, it has set the bar way out there for, the even Al- for even Alabama, who just spent a lot of money yep. on theirs. Okay, and then you go proximity. Um, high-end high school baseball player in, you know, um, I don't know. Just pick a place. Pick uh, Demopolis, Alabama, you know, southeast of Meridian. Mm -hmm. Well, if that kid's being recruited by both schools, who has the upper hand? State does. What about Auburn? What if Auburn's also hot and heavy after that same kid from Demopolis, Alabama? I got news for you. The way things are right now, you're fighting an uphill battle against Auburn if you're recruiting in Alabama. So, yes, he's a good recruiter, but everybody around him is also. Um, and and they've got a lot of ground to make up. They got to hope that they find that. To use an example here, where we all understand that they find that Nathaniel Lowe out of JUCO, yeah, and, and Brett Pirtle, you know those kind of guys mm-hmm. um, that come in and right away are are you know upper echelon in this league. They got to find those. Well, and it's and it's hard because even here in the southeast with all the access to talent and with all the financial investment and just emotional investment that you have in college baseball here it's real hard for all seven SEC West programs to be real good at the same time yeah and who's going to fall who in the west is going to fall yeah everybody to, has to leave a window of opportunity for for Alabama to jump in is mm-hmm. Arkansas fading away 2 years from now 
Would you bet money on that? No. Would, would you bet money on Ole Miss fading two years from now? By the way, side note, I wouldn't bet on that. Side note, last year when this stadium was not completed, I did a game day vlog video, a tour, you know, I posted on YouTube. Minus my eyebrows. but Yours weren't in the last year's right. version. Um, some Arkansas fan this week, like two days ago, yesterday or the day before, went back and watched that on YouTube and commented, Bomb Stadium at Arkansas is the best college baseball atmosphere. There's nothing like 12,000 pigs, uh, pig fans saying woo pig, or hog fans saying woo pig. Now, this video is two years old, and it's one where the park was not finished. So, oh, I guess one year old. And he just watched it and commented and wanted to let me know in the comment section of my YouTube video that Bomb Stadium at Arkansas had the best college atmosphere. You have a good day, sir. <laughs> sir, this is a Wendy's. That's what I would say to him. Sir, this is a Wendy's. This is a Wendy's. Uh. <laughs> you betting on LSU to fall? Texas A&M? Not going to happen. Mississippi State? Auburn? Where's no. the window of opportunity Well, when you say fall, you know, is LSU going to have a year every now and then where they, they miss out on that Super Regional? Of course. But that but, ain't the window of opportunity that Bama needs. Right. It does right. We're not saying they're gonna go out here and win four conference games. Yeah. That's just not happening. Yeah. Like so. who's who in the SEC West is gonna fall to fourteen and sixteen mm-hmm. in league play and create that opportunity for Alabama to become what it was around the turn of the millennium and even early in the Mitch Gaspard era where they're in a regional every single year. It really gets into just how many good strong relationships has Bohannon built in high school and junior college circles. And when I say relationship, not just coaches, but, you know, players and families, because that's uh, with what he's up against, that's what it will take for him to get the kind of players there that would elevate them. It's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah. And, and he also has Georgia relatively close to him that seems to have its act together. I mean, they're leading the SEC East right now. Right. I mean, it's it's hard. It's, it's the hard job at Alabama right now. It's not. It's yeah. not always this hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's not always as hard as it currently is. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so now that we've cried a river for Brad Bohannon and all the all the money he's making at Alabama, we do have one more soundbite we want to get to you, and it comes relevant to that South Alabama win uh, in the midweek seven to five. Uh, Riley Self had a strong outing in there, Gabe. Mississippi State two innings had that one mistake pitch that was hit out of the yard, but other than that he was he was strong and that has not been the norm for for Riley this year. He's clearly been trying to to figure things out after some some injuries have have limited him and and he had some some interesting perspective on not only that outing against South Alabama but just on his rise in general. His velocity was several miles an hour lower earlier this season than what it was when he was dominant as a freshman. It's starting to creep its way up in, in the last week or two. Here's what Riley had to say after that midweek game. Uh, I mean, you know, there's still room to improve, but uh, definitely better than I have been, you know, getting Velo back, being able to, I guess, make my cutter more unhittable. I even say that, but uh, it's definitely moving a lot more with the, with the Velo coming on, but I mean, there's always room to improve. I'm still leaving some balls up. Obviously, the home run was up and in, so uh, you know, I just got to get better. Is that a physical thing, a mental thing? Uh, it's just, I guess, just losing focus for that one pitch, I guess. You know, um, you know, sometimes it's just, it just happens. I mean, it's baseball, but, you know, major leaguers don't make every pitch they want to throw, so it's just part of it. You know, you can always get better the next outing. What about the increased velo? Is that a mechanics thing? Are you getting stronger? Where do you think it's coming from? You know, it's just, you know, having surgery uh, once or, or twice, actually, once recently is just, you know, loosening it up, breaking everything, breaking all the scar tissue down, uh, stretching a lot, and uh, practicing throwing hard. That's a, that's a big part of it. You know, you get out there and, and long toss and do your pull downs, so that definitely helps. But, uh, yeah, I'd say it's just, you know, loosening it up a little bit, working some mechanics, uh, you know, using my legs a little bit more. So all that helps. And he's he's a big piece. If you can get him to be what he usually is, if you can get him to be what he was as a freshman and early in his sophomore year, because this bullpen is deep, don't get me wrong, but 
we all know the regional schedules and the SEC tournament schedule and the Omaha schedule. Like, you need to be deeper than deep mm -hmm. to be really, really good in those situations. And, and State's been pretty lucky to get through those things without being deep in the bullpen the last couple years. But if you can add a fresh a 2017 Riley Self to the fold of this bullpen exactly. that is already getting excellent performances from Barlow and Lee Belt and Colby White sometimes and Cole Gordon most of the time and whichever one of Peyton Plumley and Keegan James isn't starting, uh, the names go on and on. If you can add a 2017 version of Riley Self to that, I mean, just stop. Yeah. Just give up. Yeah. Once, once State pulls the starter, just give up. You're done scoring. It's just on you to have the lead yeah. at that point and not give up anymore. Because once the bullpen comes in, it's OV. You know, the, the pitch the kid hit out against uh, Self, it seems like he, if I can remember, I remember the pitch, but it seems like before that there was a similar pitch where it was like Riley throws the ball, it's spinning in on the left-handed hitter, but it was more down. Mm -hmm. This one that the guy hit out was more in. It was just up. Yeah, yeah, it was high and in. That was the miss. It, and – he man, you know, he forevermore turned on it. Whew. <laughs> he did a long way. But that's really good, good news. The velocity increase for self. That's good news for state fans. Yeah, and, and he's he needs that velocity because he has this reputation of having a one pitch pitcher, which it, it was true as a freshman. Don't get me wrong. He he readily admitted to that. We talked about it for like ten minutes, how he just changes the cutter a little bit, but only throws cutters. It's not that way anymore. He's not a one pitch pitcher anymore, but he isn't the pitcher. I guess he needs that full velo cutter to work the rest of his stuff, to throw that change up once every blue moon, to mix the slider in a little. Maybe there's more there's more to see yeah. out of him. He might be developing more, more. Um, yeah. based on based on some bullpens. He needs that cutter to be full velo, and if it's getting up there like it seems to be trending in, in yeah. that direction, yeah. That that'd be a big development. He's he's one to watch over the next three weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And not that the radar gun at Duty Noble Field is trustable by any stretch of the imagination. So you might be forced to depend on what we tell you based on on his velo. But keep an eye on him because if if that cutter becomes dominant again, that's that's an indescribable development. Yep. for this team. Well, it is because it just gives you a, a matchup guy. When you need it in certain things, who he could throw if he if they use him in certain series as a matchup guy, depending on when you need a ground ball, you need him against a right-handed hitter or, mm -hmm. or something. He can throw an inning in three games over the weekend. Yeah, he can run right back out there. He did it, uh, two thousand seventeen. Right, a bunch. So it gives you that. It also gives you this totally different look. Let's just say, for instance, again, situationally, it's um a Saturday game in a key SEC series. And because of a couple of lefties in their lineup, uh, Egan goes in there, right? So yep. you're seeing Egan, this lefty, out of the pin. Or Barlow, this lefty. You know, and he's goes out, he's on fire. He has a good day. He records three strikeouts. Sit him up, sit him down. You run him right back out there. Something, you know, maybe, you, you know, he runs through three or four more batters. Well, now we're going to send self out there the next time that part of the lineup comes back around in the eighth inning. And the last, <laughs> the last thing this guy saw was Barlow. Now he's seeing self. He's, 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 seeing, he's seeing disgusting breaking stuff from a lefty, and then he comes in with hard cutter from a righty. From a righty. That's impossible. Well, it is. See, and, and think about it like this, Brett. Up until now, you've had – really strong upper-level breaking ball from a righty from Lee Belt. Who else? <laughs> Who else out of the pen? Has a disgusting breaky from a righty. Brandon yeah. Smith can flash a little bit of that. He can, but since he's flashed it more, he's lived up some. They hit him harder. Yeah. But, but he can, but you've really had one. Okay, and you're using, in most of these series, you're using Lee Belt out of the pen, first guy out of the pen. Yeah. To follow up Ethan Small. Well, now you can come back. You just, again, if velocity is up for Riley Self and he's confident again, now you're Saturday, Sunday with somebody that it doesn't have to be Lee Belt this time uh, if you absolutely have to have that breaking ball from a right-hander. I just – it just gives you another tool that could be so valuable. I mean, it really could. Good stuff.
good stuff on the interviews. Well, what else? I think we knocked this one out of the park. Pun. Very much intended. Bing! There's a pun. I think we knocked this one out. Well, we're recording this, I will admit, here on a Thursday. Recording it on a Thursday. Tiger Woods is going to go into the clubhouse at two under, behind the leaders at three under. John Rahm, my pick. That's a solid pick. Is tied for the lead. Solid pick. Yeah. Finished uh, T4 last year at the Masters. Did you see what happened to me on Twitter? Uh-uh. I, I tweeted, hold on, let me read it just to, just to make sure. <laughs> when I, did it happen? Uh, while you were driving over here to record this. Quote, Guys, he still has 58 holes to play. Tiger being tied for the lead ain't that big a deal. <laughs> you would think I personally insulted the mother of every person that follows me on Twitter. It's like, guys, this tournament still has, I mean, at that point, what? Like 80% of it left to be played? Come on, guys. Okay. Uh, somebody tweeted at you the thing from Scrubs. Wrong, 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 wrong. Which I love that character from, wrong, from Dr. Wrong, Cox, wrong, right? Wrong. Dr. Cox, right? I love that. That's that's a great reference. Appreciate that greatly. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see what else we get. Joel Coleman told you to know your role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife will tell you I'm not very good at that. So sorry, Joel. <laughs> um this a buddy of mine, Nathan Kogut, says, come over and let me slap you. <laughs> Shut up, Nathan. Shut up. It was really good. Yeah. Well, look, whether he wins or not, you know, there are a lot of people rooting for Tiger to do well just so they can root against him on Sunday. <laughs> Let's be honest. There's a lot of that going on. Hate just... watching Tiger Woods, a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> look, uh, last year, my wife and I, we went to the Masters Thanks to the generosity of a friend. We had Saturday, Sunday passes. Mm. And Sunday morning, let me make sure I'm getting the day right. I believe it was Sunday morning. We spent the first half of the day up until noon walking the front side of the golf course. And we followed this one spot. We planned it out because I wanted to watch Tiger Woods play. And she wanted to watch Freddie Couples. And they happened to be in back-to-back groups. Nice. So we could get right in between and watch tee shot, putt, tee shot, putt, and, you know. And, you know, watching Tiger Woods at 42 years old hit a 215-yard par-3 tee shot up there on the front. That's one of the the first par-3 or the second one, whatever. That sloping green where it's basically you look at it and you go, there's no way. If I hit my ball in the green, there's no way it's staying up there. Mm -hmm. It's rolling off. It may roll back to me. It's so (laughs) That's how sloped it It looks in real life. Mm -hmm. It's 215 yards away, and he's hitting like a six-iron. Hits it up there, a little cut, you know, make it look easy. You know, watching him ease around. And and just the electricity of this horde, this swarming uh, horde of people just buzzing about all around him, whispering about him, looking at him, staring at him, hoping they'll make he'll make eye contact with them. And that's kind of and here he is and he's got to pull these shots off, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he's like a robot. Uh, and, and so it was just incredible to, uh, to watch all that. Mark- While y'all were there, did you go see the spot where Phil hit that shot out of the pine straw on 13? No, uh, oh. didn't. We so- did go to where we did go purposely walk to the spot where Bubba Watson in that the playoff famous hit, shot, hit yeah. the big hook yep. out of the pine that straw was wild. on 10. I think so. Yeah, I guess. And we did that when we were following Tiger there on, on, Sunday morning, on the first fairway, he had his tee shot. He's walking up. Mark Emmert walked right beside me, the NCAA yeah. head, because and he was with someone that was obviously with him, um, giving him this access to. Okay, we're gonna. Go. He wanted to watch Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. and so they go out there. And, yeah, that's funny. We went to a practice round. This was probably like three years ago, I think. And that day they had a little like yellow flag marking where Phil hit that shot from the pine straw. Yeah. And I saw it and it has warped my mind ever since. Yeah. The the shot defies physics. <laughs> physics. It doesn't make sense to me and it never will. Yeah. I don't understand it. Um it's funny, I'm getting a call right here from Brandon Walker. And he just hung up. Uh, I let him listen into our con so I'm gonna have to call him back and see what he wants. Oh, so you just like let him listen yeah. to the podcast? Yeah, I let him listen to her. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and then and then he just he hung up, right? Oh, it looks like he's calling me back here. 
Should do it. Well, let's see. Hey, Brandon. Hey. Hey, um, we're recording a podcast right now, me and Brett. You're on it at the time being. You're on the podcast right now. How you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? How have things been for you? They're fine. Listen, hey, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Starkville. What's going on? You had, Have you locked yourself out of the office? No, it's worse than that. Um, I, I, so I'm on the podcast now. You're on the. I gave my. Uh, yeah, you're yeah, on the podcast. That's great. I uh, I took my my wife's car earlier, so I put the key. I just took the key off to the office and put it in my pocket. And my my pocket and my shorts had a hole in it, and um, that that key is somewhere, not in my pocket. <laughs> um, Buddy, I'm an hour away. Yeah, I'm in Starbucks. Well, look, in in all seriousness, we're about to wrap up recording, and then I'm gonna just edit it real quick and get it uploaded. Um, but it'd still be an hour after that before I could even get near you. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a hundred dollars out of my wallet if you'll if you'll just uh, when you close up, just come on up, and edit it here or something. <laughs> okay. I got a. I got a podcast that's going to reach about 600,000 people in a little bit, and I, if I don't go on with my day two, I'm going to freak out real, real bad. Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right. Hey, can, can I also get one of those $100 bills, Brandon? Brett's got a question for you. Can, can I also get one of those? I, I will. All right. Put the 100, 50, 50. <laughs> no, <Okay>. no. <laughs> I pretty clearly asked for 100. I, I was pretty clear about that. You know what? You know what? I will give you both a hundred dollars. Yes, please. Okay. Matt, please. Fantastic. Okay. All, for me. all right. We're about to Thank say you. we're about to say goodbye, and I'll head your way. Bye, everybody. Bye, Brandon. <laughs> His second day I'm gonna with make Barstool. You're I'm getting a hundred bucks, and I am too. And you know what? I'm going to use my hundred bucks for. I'm going to buy you a new microphone. Hey, that and a Jubilations cheesecake. And a Jubilations cheesecake. And uh, if you ever want some land, we can put a small down payment on a piece of land with Mississippi Land Bank. All right. We got a split, as y'all can tell. Thanks for listening to Dogpile. For Brett Hudson, I'm Matt Wyatt. See ya.